Where's our festival, fam? It's peak festival season, and what do you need for any festival you hit up besides an outfit that slays? Hydration. You know you're heading to that festival knowing you're going to be super dehydrated when you leave, whether it's from the elements or just some activities you may partake in during that day and night. This is where Liquid IV comes in. Liquid IV hydrates two times faster than water alone with three times the electrolytes of sports drinks. My favorite is how I can just slip one of the convenient pouches into my fanny pack and dance the day away. And with amazing flavors like passion fruit, my fave, guava, and the new strawberry lemonade and sea berry, you really can't go wrong. Liquid IV contains five essential vitamins, vitamin C, B3, B5, B6, B12. I could not be, you see what I did there, any more stoked about this product. And we love a company that gives back. Liquid IV partners with leading organizations for innovative solutions to help communities protect both their water and their futures. To date, Liquid IV has donated over 3 million servings in 50 plus countries around the world. What are you waiting for? Get 20% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use code gruesome at checkout. That's 20% off anything you order when you shop Better Hydration today using promo code gruesome at liquidiv.com. You're already using this product. Why not get a discount on something you already love? Welcome to Gruesome, your horrific true crime podcast. I am Meg, and our Swifty leader this week, Connie, is going to tell us about Lynn Top. I my favorite thing about us recording is that we've been in this call for an hour and a half before we start recording. <laughs> we were just we talking stuff about stuff to vent. <laughs> we were just talking about this. I was like, we need to do an episode every once in a while that's literally just us talking. I'm sure people would love. <laughs> I can't even say it with a straight face. <laughs> I know all the reviews that are so kind to say that they, <laughs> they love our yabbering. Yabbering. I want to yabber on. I want a whole episode of just yabbering. It's my favorite part. Maybe um, that could be our next podcast, Yabber On. Yabber On. Ooh, that's a good idea. Uh, trademark. <laughs> I'm going to buy that freaking URL right now. <laughs> Ew. So I have talked a couple times on here. And if you have joined our Patreon lives, you've either heard or saw about my neighbor, Leah. She's very local to the area that we're going to talk about tonight. And she runs all the time. She <laughs> several. She's like, just come on. Let's just go on runs. And I was like, beach. Like, that ain't me. From who? Away from like, what? Like, I'm not running. Like, it's, I applaud all the runners, but I tried the running thing, and they kept telling me to just keep going, that it would get better, and that's bullshit. It never does. I nope. never got the runner's high. I've done, like, a 10K, and I've never got the runner's high. I got the runner's die. Like, that's <laughs> <laughs> what I got. So... She told me that I needed to check into the murder of Lynn Top, And so I started re reading and researching about it, like, pretty close, like, as soon as she said something to me about it. She described to me how she was really young when she was murdered and how it shook the town and surrounding areas. 
in a lot of ways, I resonated with her talking about Lynn because it reminded me of Trisha Reitler, like how I feel about that case. And this was her case that stuck with her, like since she was a child, her cautionary tale that kept her up at night, that kept her, you know, doing extra precautions when she went running. And I looked everywhere and I couldn't find where Lynn's case had been covered. So I was like, this story deserves to be told. So here we go. Lynn Ann Top was born on July 19th, 1978 in Coldwater, Ohio. Her parents were Joseph and Mary Lou Top. She had two brothers, Todd and Kent, a sister named Amy. Lynn attended Ansonia High School and graduated in 1997 in the top 10 of her class. Her high school was extremely small. And I mean, like, currently there are just under 200 kids in the entire high school. Oh, wow. That is small. Very small. Once she graduated, she attended Wright State University at the Lake Campus in Salina. She was studying to be a teacher to assist the severe behavioral handicapped, and she was working as a feeding assistant at the Brethren Home in Greenville. Words cannot describe how great of a person Lynn was. She had thick, beautiful hair. She always had a cheerful smile on display. Any of the newspaper articles I read, her hair was like one of the first things they complimented when they were talking about her. Her family described her as always being there for her friends, saying she was kind, considerate, always willing to lend a hand. And I think that anyone who wants to devote their career to assisting any other human being is top tier. That's top tier personality right there. On the morning of February 21st, 1998, it was unseasonably warm and Lynn left her home near the small, and again, I mean small, like 250 people in the community town to go on a jog around 8 a.m. I looked back um, because I remember with like the Delphi murders, how it was in February and it was like a 40 degree day, you know, Mm -hmm. and this was similar. So it was 44 degrees on February 21st, 1998. Which after it's been zero degrees for however long, 40 degrees is that's summer. That's summer. Like there were times like when I mean, there's still times. I'm like, I walk out. It's been snowing for two weeks. I'm like, hell yeah, it's 40 degrees. I'm putting yeah, shorts on. Yeah, the sun is out and it's 40. I'm on the patio. I'm outside. Yeah, I'm outside. Like, that's porch sitting weather. That's porch sitting weather. That's like prime porch sitting weather. Her parents were not immediately concerned that she hadn't returned home because they thought that she had maybe stopped to look at the mini farm. That she, like they had like little animals and around her so she would go there and like kind of just hang out she was set to leave for her 3 p.m shift at the brethren's home senior care center and when she still wasn't home the tops called the police around two o'clock when lynn's walkman was found about a mile from her house without the headphones the search quickly turned into an up into an abduction investigation and i say that even though no one from the beginning thought that lynn would just up and leave She had no history of any real drama. She didn't have a steady boyfriend. She had lots of friends. She was happy. She was attending school. She didn't have any problems with her family. There was no reason for her to up and leave. The very next day, hundreds of volunteers, as well as the top family, all of the sheriff's department, they started the search for Lynn. They searched fields, creeks, and local farms throughout the northern Dark County area for clues. In the late afternoon on Tuesday, February 24th, brothers Lee and Kurt Richardson 
leashed their two bloodhounds and began walking them through the trees along a creek south of the Wab- south of Wabash York Road. Top's 27-year-old brother, Todd, wearing heavy rub- rubber boots and blue coveralls, looked exhausted. He had been out there searching the whole time that all of the volunteers were for his sister. He walked behind the group for their sixth field day, sixth field search of the day. Then the bloodhounds began pulling on their leashes. They tugged the Richardsons through thorny thickets back and forth over a winding, muddy stream. Todd quickly ran behind. After several hundred yards, the dogs left the trees and began um, running through the edge of a farm field. Todd stopped. He asked, is that a footprint? The splotch in the mud looked like a barefoot. The dog dug slightly into the ground, but he did not get excited. He didn't act like he was finding a scent. Um, the men found the tread to a tennis shoe print nearby. Um, Todd and the Richardsons were unsure if it was a clue or if it was just a print from one of the other many searchers who had been you know, combing the field since Saturday. Kurt Richardson found the same print again and further on and a second print. So there was one big print and one small print. The two dogs tugged on. The men plunged down the 10-foot deep embankment to the bottom of Swamp Creek. They pushed through thickets. They were trying to, like, you know, encourage the dogs to find any scent. After winding through the fields for half an hour, the dogs stopped pulling. They wandered on their leashes. They were tired, and they hadn't seemed to find anything. The men trudged back across a deep field covered with tons of corn stalks. Todd walked very slowly, feeling defeated like they were never going to find his sister. The Richardson said that like they understand that it, you know, this that part of the search like yielded nothing, but they wanted to make sure there was nothing down there. So there was no way that they were going to leave like this possible scent of Lynn and then just be like, oh, no, it's nothing. More than 60 volunteers worked out of the firehouse in the village of North Star on Tuesday, or that Tuesday, coordinated by the Tri-State Search and Rescue Team from Cincinnati. Joe, Lynn's father, sat there covered in mud, and every person that walked in, he urged the farmers in the area to just go check the fields, check their outbuildings. He asked them to check it every day. He said they should hunt their property because she could be any place that will help more than anything. Because this is a very, as Megan and I like to say, rural. This is a very rural area. Um, farmhouses, not much going on. Um, I mean, honestly, when I drive through this, because this is only like this isn't very far from where I live. It reminds me a lot of growing up like in Hartford City. Like if you're out like doing a country cruise, like that same area. Like one of those towns, it's just like one country road through the town and that's it. Just the buildings on each side. Yeah. I asked Leah like what type of area like the like these small towns were. And she said, usually there's like a bar, a Catholic church and a cemetery. Yeah. Sounds like, about right. I was like, sounds, sounds just like every small town in Indiana. <laughs> there was originally a $10,000 bond, but that amount was raised to $75,000 in the hopes that someone would come forward with any information about the whereabouts of either who took Lynn or where she could be. Unfortunately, the search would come to an end on March 6th after a tip from a man named James Allen, the neighbor and nephew of Timothy Roadheffer. On March 3rd, officers and a dog had come to his farm 
and it triggered something he saw on the day that Lynn disappeared. He told Todd, Lynn's brother, because again, small town, everybody knows everybody. He told Todd, Lynn's brother, to get a hold of the sheriff because he thought he had some information that they could use. Allen said that on February 21st, the day that Lynn was reported missing, he watched his uncle drive a small backhoe from the hog house to a gravel pit at the edge of the farm's like unused cornfield. Roadheffer worked at digging a hole until after dark. And at first, Alan thought Roadheffer was burying a pile of old like farm equipment. But that changed when he saw the dog and the officers at the farm. And we'll go into, I'll talk about in just a little bit why they were questioning, yeah. like why they were talking to Roadheffer in the beginning. In an interview that following day, James Allen kind of dove into what type of person Roadheffer was. He said that at one point they had an argument over Allen's dog and he came to his house with a gun and was like hunched down, like shooting at him with this like rifle. And he said over he came an over an argument and, about their dog. Yeah, about he came over. Yeah, he said that he was going to come over and shoot his dog. And Alan was like, hey, get off my property. And then he squatted down and started shooting at him. And then so, in true, like, Ohio fashion, Alan went inside his house and got his gun and, like, <laughs> tossed a couple rounds back the other way. Uh, and, I. and then they wrote ever just, like, went home and that was it. Called it a day. He characterized Timothy Roadheffer, who was 43, he as even-tempered for the most part until he consumed alcohol and that he could be really easygoing unless he got drinking and then that's when he got crazy. And then he said at his worst, he's just really twisted. Mm, I don't like where that's going. Mm -mm. Alan met with investigators and talked about the excavation and that he believed they were looking at the wrong car that was parked on the farm. He, there was one like abandoned car on the farm, but he said that he believed that Lynn was abducted in the 1989 Buick Skylark, which is the car that Roadheffer regularly drove. Police had recovered that car a week prior at an Indiana junkyard. It had recently been gutted in a fire. Oh, so strange. Mm hmm A 1982 Ford Fairmont used by the family was also taken as evidence. Police started digging in that area that Alan had led them to on March 5th. The search concluded when it got dark, but sadly the remains of a woman were found the following day at 1.15, buried about six feet under, wrapped in plastic, and the, the remains would later be identified as Lynn's. And I will admit, I looked everywhere for the details regarding the con like what had happened to her. The sheriff on the case said it was the hardest day of his career and it was something that no one should ever have to see. It was believed that she had been sexually assaulted prior to her murder. And we'll go into why that was the assumption in just a minute. Um, but that she had been, quote, brutally murdered. I reached out to my neighbor because, again, small towns. I'm like, what did you hear happened? People talk. People talk. And she said that she was always told that Lynn's body had been burned in an, an attempt to conceal evidence, which honestly would make sense considering the car that he had taken to the junkyard had also been mm -hmm. burned. Burned. 
But again, her autopsy report has never been released and the details surrounding the manner of her death, death have never been released either. And I do think a lot of the reasoning for that is one, it's, it's such a small town, you know, like it's, they didn't want to make more of, they didn't want to make her death like a piece of entertainment for people to read about. And it's not just like you live in, and not that it makes it any better, but it's not like you live in a big city and like you read about this stuff and you don't know these people, like everyone knew everybody here, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And she said a lot of these towns, like I said, they have like a church and a bar. So I don't know if it was like out of respect for the family and also yeah. because this case, spoiler alert, will never go to trial. So I think that's a, mm-hmm, I think that's a reason why the details were never released. Hmm. So a manhunt ensued for Road Heifer as he hadn't been seen since the morning before Lynn's body had been discovered. Witnesses put Road Heifer right where Lynn would have been jogging when she disappeared because he was on his way home from a party that morning. Yes, as in still like from the night before he was home was driving like, home from a just party. Just a morning party? No. Okay, so it's no. the night before he's coming mm-hmm. home. And he, if he would have went straight home, if he went straight home, he would have been right where she was at that time. The community was shocked that someone from their small town could have been responsible for this grisly murder. What was even crazier is that he worked at a place called Minster Machine, and that's where Lynn's dad, Joe, had worked for 28 years. Lynn's brother, Todd, said his dad didn't really know him, and, quote, it was a good thing he didn't know him. Mm. Investigators had talked to Road Heifer several times in the investigation because dogs from several police agencies picked up a scent on his property. The entire town and area went into panic mode. Kids were outside playing. People weren't walking. It was a really scary time while they were looking for him. So who is this guy? He was the youngest of four children. He grew up in Northern Dark County. He was a pretty okay student at Mississippi Valley High School. He was elected class president his junior year. He was intelligent and hardworking, but he... By the time he was a junior, he was already drinking heavily. One night he got drunk. He broke into the school. Um, By 19, he drank so much he would have blackouts. And he told them, like for his probation officers at the time, that he only got in trouble when he drank. After graduating from high school in 1974, Timothy Rodeheffer, who was 18, married and moved in with his wife. Um, They moved to her family's 80-acre farm. He started working at Westinghouse in Union City, Indiana, raising his son and daughter and working part-time for his father's gravel hauling company. In August of 1981, Roadheffer was sitting at a bar in Union City at the bowling alley when a 26-year-old woman he knew from his, like, from growing up came into the parking lot. She had asked the bartender for help because she had locked her keys in the car. So Roadheffer stood up and was like, I'll drive you home. No way was he sober. mm -mm. Instead, he drove her to a secluded field and forced her to perform oral sex on him. He told her he would leave her alone if she did not tell the police. So she didn't. In December of 1981, she was asleep in her home in Union City when Roadheffer came in through an unlocked patio door and chased her through her home and raped her. This a second, like, he was like, oh, I'll just leave you alone. And then he did it. Mm-hmm. Ew. 
This time she went to police and an Indiana State police officer investigated a polygraph test she took. I want to repeat that. The polygraph test that she took, the victim took, about the two assaults came back inconclusive. Because of that, no one would prosecute her case. Whatever. Um, Her identity wasn't released because she still is like local to the area. But um, she said everyone turned on her and she felt so dirty. She kept thinking like she shouldn't have been drinking at that bar. Like that, you know, like. Yeah, like you, she's blaming herself when she Mm -hmm. shouldn't. Nothing, she could have done nothing wrong. She did nothing wrong. He did everything wrong. He did everything wrong. Um, A Marion County, uh, Indianapolis, like probation report for a 1987 case that we're getting ready to talk about. Um, In that case, no, it had this notation. Investigator for this, the 1981 incident related to the Randolph County Probation Department, that there was no doubt in his mind that Tim Roadheffer committed this rape. The exact reason why this case was not filed or brought before the prosecuting attorney is unknown. Mm-hmm. I'm annoyed. Me too. You're going to be more annoyed. Perfect. Once again, alcohol led to another sexual assault. In 1983, Roadheffer was arrested after breaking into a woman's home north of Union City, Indiana. The woman had three daughters asleep inside. Roadheffer justified his actions by saying that he had drank 15 beers and a half pint of whiskey that night. The fact he that agreed. you're still standing is incredible, but also, like, Jesus. He said when he during the like hearing that he realized he had a drinking problem and that he was an alcoholic and he needed some help. Mm-hmm. He admitted the rape, he, but he pled guilty to the lesser charge of burglary and battery. He was sentenced to eight years, three suspended, but he had already been in jail a year awaiting the trial. So um, after a little more than a year in an Indiana prison, he was sent to the work release program in Indianapolis. During the program, he met an Indiana man who helped him get a job at an auto parts store. Um, They kind of became friends of sorts. Um, The two of them and the other guys in the office would hang around after hours. They would go like sit in the front office, drink beer. Roadheffer would occasionally normal talk about his stuff. normal work stuff. Roadheffer would occasionally talk about his family that he had back in Ohio because remember, he still has a wife and two kids. They were receiving aid to like, um, like state aid because he was in you know prison. Mm-hmm. They were almost $100,000 in debt at the time. And on March 27, 1987, two months after he was put on probation for the 1983 attack, him and his friend who helped him get the job at the auto parts store, um, they started the night by drinking a few beers at the shop. And from there, they went to a nightclub, still their work clothes, still covered in grease. Several rounds of drinks and several hours later, you can imagine that the monster came out. This man remembers climbing into Roadheffer's truck to be driven home because Roadheffer is like, you know what? I haven't learned my lesson. I've admitted I'm an alcoholic and I have this huge drinking problem, but I'm going to continue to just like be belligerent, drink and drive, do disgusting things. So when this man got in his truck, he passed out on the way home. Going to give you a trigger warning because this is oof. The man's wife, who was 28 years old and six months pregnant, was asleep in her bed around 6 a.m. She saw a face hovering 
like a foot from hers. Someone had pried open the window in her room and was climbing in on top of her. Half asleep, she looked and she thought she saw the face of her husband because, remember, they're in the same work clothes. They're covered in grease. And sometimes he would climb in through the window if he forgot his keys. When the man climbed into the bed and began kissing her neck, she was like, Jim, don't. The man I'm six then, months pregnant, Jim. Don't touch me. The man grabbed her on the neck and rolled her towards him. And that's when she saw that it was Road Heifer and not her husband. Ugh, he, he put one hand over her mouth and nose and told her to shut up. With the other hand, he assaulted her. He kept telling her to shut up. He said, Jim's passed out. Don't worry about him. She screamed for him, begged him to stop. She's like, look, I'm six months pregnant. Like, don't do this. When he told her, when she told him that she was pregnant, he stopped, stood up, pulled up his pants, and just ran to the door. Outside, he jumped into the truck and drove off. Then he drove by the house three times. His, her husband is still asleep in the front seat of Road Heifer's truck while all of this is happening. So the girl called her sister, who like immediately came to the house. Um, when Road Heifer tried to back out of the driveway, the victor's the victim's brother-in-law pulled a 22 caliber revolver from his pocket and pointed it at Road Heifer. Hell yeah. Mm-hmm. He um kept telling like her brother-in-law that he was gonna leave, and he's like, You're not leaving. If you try to leave, I'm gonna shoot you. Good. So yeah, Road Heifer started hitting the like this woman's sleeping husband in the front seat. And then the man like got up and went into the house. And so Road Heifer tried to follow him in there. And he was like, hey, hey, Jim, don't believe anything that they're trying to say. Like, you know, I've got to talk to you for five minutes. I have a wife and two little girls. I don't believe anything your wife or any of them say. Yeah, don't believe your wife who's also pregnant with your child. The f- the woman gave birth or four weeks early to her daughter, and she told the court probation officers she blamed the stress of the attack on the premature labor, which yeah, very likely. Honestly. He was charged with attempted rape, burglary, and confinement. Prosecutors offer to let him plead guilty to the first two charges and face up to 40 years in prison, and he was like, Mm-mm, nah. In 1987, his case went to a one-day trial, which resulted in a hung jury. Two How? months later. Exactly. I had no idea. I was appalled. Two months later, as prosecutors were preparing to take the case to trial again, they reached a new plea agreement that allowed Roadheffer to plead guilty to one count of confinement. He was sentenced to one year in jail, and then he just went back. He stayed off the radar. Like, after he was released from prison, he went back home, he worked some menial jobs, and he was pretty much off the radar until he abducted Lynn. So, And that last thing happened in, what, 1987? 1987. So in 1987 to 1997. Mm-hmm. 1998. 1998. And once D, because they were, they released, they're like, hey, he's six foot, 250 pounds, red hair. Like this guy's out. His information went out to the, all the national databases. This was Doesn't a nationwide. Like he's going to be able to like hide very easily with that description either. Mm-mm. I love my Blendjet 2 portable. I make breakfast smoothies in the morning with just some almond milk, frozen fruit, yogurt, and I can walk out the door with breakfast in hand in less than a minute. It's so easy to clean up, and you get to see the cool 
little water tornado it makes when you rinse out whatever you just blended. BlendJet 2 is portable, so you can blend up a smoothie at work, you can do a protein shake at the gym, or even a margarita on the beach. It's small enough to fit in a cup holder, but powerful enough to blast through tough ingredients like ice and frozen fruit with ease. BlendJet 2 is whisper quiet, so you can make your morning smoothie without waking up your entire house. It lasts for 15 plus blends and recharges so quickly via USB-C. And best of all, BlendJet 2 cleans itself. You just blend water with a drop of soap and you are good to go. If they have it in a certain color, will you get it? Well, you're in luck because BlendJet has more than 30 colors and patterns to choose from. You should definitely check out the Disney prints. They are very cute. I need a Buzz Lightyear one. What are you waiting for? Go to BlendJet.com and grab yours today. Be sure to use the promo code GRUESOME12 to get 12% off your order and free two-day shipping. No other portable blender on the market comes close to the quality, power, and innovation of the BlendJet 2. They guarantee you'll love it or your money back. Blend anytime, anywhere with the BlendJet 2 Portable Blender. Go to BlendJet.com and use the promo code GRUESOME12 to get 12% off your order and free two-day shipping. Shop today and get the best deal ever. Well, March 22nd, 1998, a Rose Hill farmer named Michael Osterloh called authorities after he followed a strange smell that was coming from his barn. He told the sheriff, Toby Spencer, that he had been in and out of the barn for the past three weeks to feed his animals, and he never smelled anything until that Saturday. He started to move bales of hay to feed his animals. When he discovered a body in, quote, a tunnel of hay, the cause of death seemed to be a single gunshot wound to the head with a 30-30 rifle that was located beside the body. It appeared that the body had been buried there since shortly after he was last seen on March 6th. The remains were identified as Timothy Roadheffer. And it was originally investigated as a homicide due to it being kind of like a, I mean, he was like tunneled in hay. And we're going to talk about that in just a minute. Yeah, I'm interested. Mm -hmm. But with the position of the gun, it appeared that the, like the gunshot was self-inflicted. Now, when we, when I was talking about this, I was like, how did he like burrow in hay? Like I'm asking Leah this. And she shook her head. She's like, "Mm -mm, that's not what people say. People say that People from the town found him and hunted him down and they killed him and they put him there. And I was like, you know yeah, what? That, that was my thought too. I was like, there's mm-hmm. no way. They gave him some good old vigilante Batman justice and I'm here for it. Quite, Yeah, frankly. I'm not even mad about it because when the family um, and all of the interviews that they did with like newspapers following Lynn's, like once they found her body – they were like, I hope he gets the death penalty. He needs to come out and face his actions. And like every person in that town that did an interview was like, I hope he's dead. Like, I hope he dies. I hope he gets the death penalty. And I was like, but how much oh. did you hope it? <laughs> they'll, they'll put their hands in the middle and they're like, here's the pact. No mm-hmm. one talks. Yeah, and but honestly. handled that shit. It wouldn't, because it's just, okay, here's my thought process on it, okay? Let's hear it. And this is not me being a 
fucking armchair detective, guys. Like, this is just, like, my brain working, okay? Just her thinking out loud. James Allen called in on March 5th and was like, hey, I think you guys need to check this place out. March 6th, Road Heifer was left for work that morning, okay? And her dad worked at that place. Her dad worked where he worked. I'm not saying her dad had anything to do with it, but I think a brutal, like, rape and murder of a daughter of a town of 250 like and he still worked there when he worked there right it wasn't mm -hmm. like he was retired or anything mm -hmm. yeah i'm gonna go with that like i'm gonna go with hey we found her here and it's like it's a you didn't like hear how it? convenient he's at fucking work right now get him let's bag him yeah. boys bag him boys that's honestly what i thought like you're going to tunnel, and if you're not from the country, if, like, you've never, like, tussled in a bale of hay, that <laughs> shit is not easy. Like, it's not like you've never tussled in a bale of hay. <laughs> but it's not like it's loosey-goosey where you can just swim through it. Like, you just, like, pop into it. No. You you're don't. telling me he tunneled into this bale of hay. And, look, I'm going like to be honest. fucking groundhog? What? <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna be honest, Dark County. I ain't mad at you. Like, do the damn thing. What you gotta do? Yeah. But that's why the case never went to trial, and that's why the detail. And like, her family was like, honestly, we're kind of glad that this is what happened. We didn't want to have to hear the details of what happened to our daughter. Like, we didn't yeah, want to have to live fair. through that. That's fair. Um, yeah, I'm not. But she told me that, and I was like, look, I dead ass believe it. <laughs> and if not, and if he did find a way to worm his way into that and then, like, take his own life, I'm good with that, too. Yeah, honestly, either way, I it's prefer a win -win the situation. vigilante. You, like, you know I love a vigilante. Mm -hmm. <laughs> There's just something about it. I'm like, it's oh, like that hell yeah. A win is a win. A win is a, a win. win. A win is a win. Yes. I feel that. Hmm. Well, fuck that guy. But I had the other thought was he only had a gunshot, you know, like he only had this one gunshot. Like you think they would have just like beat the mess out of him, beat the dickens out of him. Yeah. Yeah. I or they were, or, or they, they were, were like, like had a plan. They were like, here's mm -hmm. what we're going to do. We're going to put and him were, in old man McGregor's barn. Yeah. The they barn were like, I was in on it too. Yeah, he were, they were like, Michael, he's going to be in here in three weeks. Exactly. You're going to be like, what? I didn't I smell nothing in three whole weeks. <laughs> I didn't do shit. <laughs> I didn't do this. I'm not worried about it. I'm not worried about it. <laughs> you know, you know. But I fully support the idea of a vigilante town mob that took this son of a bitch out because there's that um we get requests to do it all the time, that Missouri town. Yep. Yeah, we the guy was so awful there that no the one in town the town came together and they were like, "Let's get rid of this dude. Zip it, zip it, lock it, put nothing. it in your pocket." We didn't see nothing. <laughs> Honestly, yeah, like I am, especially in like children cases and especially in like you know sexual motivated like cases, this. exactly like, like this. Yeah, dude, do what you gotta do. Do what you gotta do. I am mad at you, King. The guy I'm mad. Also, like a town of 250. Where did... they? They probably only have one cop, anyways. The cop probably knew. They had three. 
three the investigators three, on the case. They all yep. knew. They all fucking knew. They were all like, yeah, they were probably like, gonna, hmm? get our job easier. They were like, you know what? This guy's been let off too many times. Guess, guess what? Mm-mm. Because Silly. really, it was 100%. She was a victim of opportunity for him. He was drunk driving home, like, probably every day, dude. Like, (laughs) it sounds like that was his hobby. It was just, like, getting hammered and making bad choices. This is how I know that it's, like, small town, like, very conservative Ohio. Because in one of the newspaper articles I read, I honestly, like, laughed out loud at the way they worded it. Because it was, like, having sex out of wedlock was no... Uh, it was like it was no new thing to him, and I'm like, because because like he was married, and uh-huh. I was like, okay, <laughs> like that's not right. the way. It was like he was raping women. Yeah, it's like having sex. Like that's not that's not the same. Sex thing. and rape are not the same thing. We're not calling rape sex. That's no, and also eighty whatever. But. But she said that because, like, she's always, like, she played, like, soccer forever, like Leah did. And she, like, she still runs all the time. But she said her mom still is, like, very leery of her going running, like, on our bike trails and stuff like that. Even here in my town, which is a pretty safe town because, you know, this happened there. Yeah, I mean, it's true for, like, lots of running, Mm -hmm. like, people who run, like, that you have to be, like, cautious, especially if you're a lady running alone. Like you, there are literally entire companies dedicated to just like stuff you can hold while you're running to protect yourself. I would not be able to, I can't run because you just can't run. I can't run. (laughs) I can't run. But also like I would be having an asthma attack as I was getting like approached and I wouldn't be as efficient as I would be had I just been walking. I would, I like. I'd constantly be like checking behind me to see like, oh no, who's behind me? What is that? I don't run either. I'm with you. It's just not fun. I chase. I'm a thick thigh lady. Like I just can't. (laughs) I'm just going to let these happen. No, I can't run. If it like feels like exercise, I'm out. Mm -mm. It's got to be a little fun. Well, you know what I do, so. (laughs) (laughs) Not run. Not run. (laughs) <laughs> wait did you get your peloton oh my god uh what a nightmare that has been okay i ordered my peloton for my birthday at the beginning of may or for graduation i was yeah, just like was, i was giving was myself excuses I, yeah yeah i was like i'm getting this peloton so i ordered it bought it was waiting for it and they were like oh it'll be here in two weeks and i was like sick so i like Bought the mat for it. I got my shoes. I got my space all set up. I was ready to party. And then I get an email like the week before. They're like, oh, it'll be another week. And I was like, yeah, all right. That happens. I'm patient. Whatever. And then they're like, okay, your delivery is going to be this day. And so I wait all day that day. I didn't do anything. I stayed at home waiting. Never showed up. I was like, what the? And the next day I get an email that's like, oh, actually, your delivery is going to be in a week and a half. And I was like, that's on my birthday, so I'll just hang out at my house on my birthday from 8 to 12. Yeah. Like, wait for it to come in. Mm, nope, never showed up. So I called him, and I was like, hey, I think I want to cancel this order. 
because I've been waiting for like a month and I understand that like shipping is an issue. But yeah. I just, yeah. Like, you know, uh, the time has passed. My motivation is gone now. <laughs> you missed the the willing to spend that much money on a piece of exercise equipment. Um, and they were like, oh, well, there's a bunch of safety recalls. So they had to recall all these Pelotons and the ones that they were shipping out were part of that. So they didn't have any to ship out anyways. And I still, I probably still wouldn't have it even if I had ordered or kept my order, but they were cool. They just can't, I just canceled my order and I was like, yeah, refund me. I, I, uh, mine is part of the recall as well, but I don't really understand what is part of it. And I don't want to send it back. Like, it's like, I don't want to like kind of a pain in the ass. Right. Yeah. So I never got my Peloton. I ne- I'm not a Peloton girly. I mm. wanted to be one, but it's fine. I need you some people what? to do it with me. My life has kind of worked out. That, that was probably for the best. That was probably you know, like, yeah, what? you're right. <laughs> that was the like, universe looking out for you. That was like, you know what you don't need to fuck with right now? A Peloton. Peloton. Yeah. So I didn't. And I don't. Fuck you, Peloton. <laughs> Not me, though. I still love you. I love you, Peloton. <laughs> Don't cancel both of us. I know. I'm sorry. I'm not canceling Peloton. Maybe they would like to send me one to make up for that hot mess nightmare that was a month and a half of me telling everyone that I bought one. Every single I person. Remember. I got a Peloton. And then I have since had like four people text me and be like, how is it? And then I have to tell them that story. <laughs> uh, well, it isn't. That's the problem. It isn't. We it was an issue. Sorry, ding dongs. You know what so, though? Yeah, it did work no out. That's that's a good. The universe really came through for you at that point. Honestly, I think that that's true. I think that that's some good karma. That was good. That was my karma that I earned from just being a nice person. Because most of the time I am. Sometimes I'm not, but most of the time. Ah, so you go see Taylor Swift on Friday. I go see Taylor Swift on Friday. I do. I do. Uh, tell us about your outfit. What did we land on? Okay. Well, there's, I had a really fun outfit. It was going to be kind of like a crop bandeau top with a heart on it. I ordered it. It was beautiful. I was going to wear a poofy skirt with it, but it's going to be, I think, five or 600 degrees on Friday with a chance of a tsunami. So it was just like there was a lot going on that I couldn't do. So I'm doing, um, very lover era, pink and blue, like kind of tie-dye looking mesh shirt, mesh shirt with like, it's like with a white bra. Looks like cotton candy. Cotton candy. Uh, I'm going to wear white biker shorts and I'm taking full advantage of the biker shorts because to be honest, my husband hates biker shorts because they remind him of his aunt Carla. Yeah. <laughs> And that kind of went sour. They remind me of my crazy aunt when you were biker shorts. He hates them. But I'm going to wear white biker shorts and um, bedazzling some shoes that are super cute. Oh, those shoes are sick. Yeah, I'm super pumped about the shoes. I will admit I did not make friendship bracelets because, you know, a bitch just doesn't have the time. But I did order 30 of them from Amazon. (laughs) So You'll still have them. No one will ever. Yeah, and they're still Taylor Swift. Friendship bracelets. And honestly, like, they look really good. Like, I should have started a friendship bracelet business while the Taylor Swift tour was going so that I can make bracelets for you. (laughs) 
How many Etsy stores are just like booming right now? So many. So many. I'm excited. I'm going to do space buns, uh, like probably like a pull through braid because I got these extensions with space buns, um, glitter on my part, glitter fucking everywhere. Like it's going to be all the glitter. It's going to be amazing. Bright makeup. I'm super pumped. Little nervous about it being so hot because, like, I'm just not good with that. I mean, I keep my house like 68 degrees. I'm not good in the heat. No, you're gonna, it'll be great. You'll be so pumped up with like adrenaline and just like hype that you're seeing Taylor Swift at this incredible tour that you won't even matter. I know. I'm so excited. I feel like an elitist because I get a go, and I know that's like not something to brag about, but like also, you can always sell your ticket for 40 grand when you bought it. Mm hmm. Because I only paid like 150 for my ticket. I got them like in the the Ticketmaster war. So I didn't pay what people are paying now. I mean, I respect the drip, but like, I don't know how your guys' bank accounts are set up, but mine is not set up to spend $3,000 on a Taylor Swift ticket. ticket. Uh-huh. No way. People are like, paying $3,000 for nosebleed seats. Yeah, that's wild. But like do I, like do you boo boo? If you got it and that's what you want to spend it on, that's your yeah. money, baby. Do what you want. I with spend it. money on way dumb, like like way more crazy shit. Like I have a Peloton sitting at my in in laws so I haven't written <laughs> this month. That's so. how I talked myself into buying dumb shit because I was like, I've spent more money on dumber things. Might as well get this six dollar item. Mm-hmm. That's how I yeah. felt about the land. We just had someone come and like landscape the front of our house because I had like. A tree that, like, I hate it. It was just, like, a bunch of, like, shit I didn't want to do. And it was. You're like, I don't want to do yard no, work. Absolutely not. I was going to just do it. I was like, you know what? I'm not going to pay money. It's expensive. Like, I'm not going to pay this. I'm a cheap ass. Like, there's no way. And then I started thinking about all the dumb shit I do spend money on. And then I started valuing my time. And I was like, you know what? They're going to do this. And I have to spend zero minutes doing this i just have to walk out there and be like oh yeah that looks great so yeah, I did. it was worth it you it know what it. if it's worth it to you then it's worth it doesn't matter that's how i feel about giving my husband his office like it's i think it's like three we, we're gonna have like three grand in it like building it one it's a tax write-off and you know the gruesome podcast needs those and two, <laughs> and two the peace of mind I'm going to have just not like without him. Not being, sharing an office. Not sharing an office. I'm like a strong, independent businesswoman. I need my own office. <laughs> and he like man spreads and leans all the way back in his chair to like where it touches my chair. And I'm just like, <laughs> get out of my space. And then he wanna... talks to me. I enjoy the conversation, but it's like, you just distracted me. Now I'm going to talk to you about this submarine for two hours and not get shit done at work. <laughs> oh my God, the submarine. That consumed me. The submarine consumed me. The submarine and the orcas, quite frankly. Like, I want to join that pot of orcas. Just Dude, I am unhinged <laughs> with this orca. Like, I actually picture... The dark county town that went after Road Heifer. It's just like a pack <laughs> of orcas just being like, oh, what we got going. That You know what? I feel like that's a good, that's a good cap. Yeah. <laughs> Comparing the uh, orca pod to the town. Mm-hmm. It works. Stay it works real, orcas. <laughs> Bye. Bye. 
Thank you so much for listening to Gruesome Horrific True Crime, a Zencaster-powered podcast. Seriously, we wouldn't be here without them. Zencaster is simple to use and makes it easy to edit your own podcast. Zencaster gives you automatic, high-quality post-production sound, transcription, and HD video recordings of all of your episodes. If you want to start a podcast, and we think you should... Click the link in the show notes or at our website and use the code GRUESOME with a capital G for 30% off your first three months. We love you, beautiful strangers. And if you love us too, here are some ways that you can support Gruesome. Please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcast or a five-star rating on Spotify. This helps other true crime connoisseurs find us. Follow us at Gruesome Podcasts on Instagram or TikTok and talk to us on our posts. Join the Patreon. Sign up to join our True Crime Sticker of the Month Club and gain access to bonus episodes and exclusive Patreon perks. Or if a one-time donation is more your thing, we have a Venmo at Gruesome Podcast and a PayPal via our email, gruesomepodcast at gmail.com. Speaking of which, we love hearing from you. It seriously makes our whole life. So send us your questions, comments, suggestions, or just ask our opinion on whether that person you met on Tinder is a serial killer or not. Tune in next week and don't forget, lock your windows, lock your doors, and on Wednesdays, we're we're gruesome. gruesome. Bye. Bye.